Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Victoria Bertine. And I'm your other host, Mikkel Snyder. It's April. Wow. It's April. I'm not convinced it's April entirely yet. I'm not sure how you're faring out there. Yeah, it's it's weird. I feel like March kind of disappeared into the void, so mm-hmm. it'll take a while. It'll take a while. Well, speaking of other weird things outside of time, you know what else is weird in 2020? Talking about the zombie apocalypse. It's a little too close to home, but it's hard not to for a variety of reasons, especially since the entirety of like the 2010s was all about zombies everywhere. You had Walking Dead and its spin-offs, World War Z, the 2013 movie, unfortunately, and not the excellent Apocalypse novel, uh, Netflix's Kingdom and the Santa Clarita Diet, and even CW's iZombies. There was just a lot of media featuring the undead in the 2010s for some reason. However, one of the standouts of the era was the uh, 2016 South Korean film Train to Prasant. And it was one of the most original of the zombie medias listed, and much like the previously hinted at beloved book, World War Z, it was largely because of how much the setting and culture were ingrained into the story's DNA. The character dynamics, the set pieces, the interpretation of such a large-scale horror. All of these elements were handled brilliantly by director Sanko Yeon, and it was a very a story very much that could only exist in South Korea, and it was unlike anything else we had gotten in the American landscape, and it was just really cool to watch. This train to Prasan, this is something that we don't really have in the same way in the States. And yeah, you can watch it on Netflix, I believe, right now, and you should definitely get on that, especially since that it's announced we're getting Peninsula which is not quite a sequel to Train to Busan. It's set in the same world, but the story focuses on an entirely different set of characters four years after the events of the movie, and most of society has fallen because zombies. You know, it's just it's a classic progression. But there are people still on the South Korean peninsula and still trying to survive, and that's the law of the land right there, is survival. And with Gion back behind the reel to show his evolving post-zombie world, I'm here for it, even if the time feels awkward. And it will never not feel awkward right now. But it looks great. The trailer is very different from Tranger Prasan, but it looks visually engaging, and I'm, I'm here for it. So I am... I am split on zombies. We all know that I am not a horror person. I do not do horror well. Um, but there are a few subgenres of horror that I like. I like have like a morbid fascination with, um, and religious horror and zombies are one of them. 
Like, I know it's going to be terrible for my psyche. Not that the, that the movies or the books or anything are going to be terrible, but I know that, like, I'm not going to be able to sleep for a week. I know that it's going to, like, I'm going to have, like, some PTSD episodes. Like, I know it's going to be bad, and yet I watch them anyway. Um, and that's kind of how I felt when I was watching this trailer. Was like, oh, I should turn this off. And then 10 seconds later, I'd be like, oh, no, I should really turn this off. And I didn't turn it off. Um, I did kind of also like that there was, like, this kind of Mad Max Thunderdome thing going on at one point. Um, so I think it looks really good. I might, I might like, try and convince myself that I can get through it. We'll see. Maybe I'll just read about it. Maybe I'll just read about, you know, like, all of the spoilers later and then it'll be okay. Um, but it does look really good and I agree. And we've been, this seems to be a through line that we talk about, about how media outside of the United States tends to be more creative and, and endearing to us. So I think it looks good. I think it's an interesting take on zombies and yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about like America's media specifically, but it definitely feels like it's trying to appeal to everyone in the entire world which is fine and we've gotten lots of great interesting works but oftentimes what i think we find is that in the specifics in the details and someone being very passionate about a very like insular thing to them and trying to share that passion with the world we get something a lot more interesting we saw that with train to we saw that with parasite these were stories that resonated so well because the person was very passionate about it and made that like particular thing relatable rather than trying to start out relatable and just like, I'm going to get to everyone in existence. Yeah. And that's fine. It's great. It's just, it's nice having that like deeper dive, that deeper connection, that more like, I'm going for this particular thing because it has to be this particular thing. So it's, it's very, like, Kubrick-style filmmaking, except not Kubrick-style, because Kubrick was also, like, the derivative for everything <laughs> else. The, not derivative, the progenitor? Yes. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, the progenitor for a lot of the stuff that we've gotten since, but, like, it's that same idea, which is, like, if they're passionate, it will come through, and it will work, regardless of how weird it is, and I love weird things, and right now I'm getting weirder things from outside America. Agreed. We'll have to do a deep dive during our stay-at-home time on <laughs> on kind of the differences between American media and other media forms, because I have so much to say, but Jordan would not like me if he had to edit all of that out, so... <laughs> we only have so much time in the, in the podcast. Yes. We'll have a special episode at yes, some point. Yes, for sure. But speaking of weird media from other countries. <laughs> yes. So my first thing is The Listeners, which is a new, well, new to the English speaking world, I guess, anime uh, that is on Funimation's Spring 2020 lineup. It actually came out on Funimation yesterday. Um, so it came out, I believe, in 2019 in Japanese but now it is coming out with, I think, just an English sub. Hopefully it's a dub, but I don't think we're there yet. Um, anyway, The Listeners, and this is directly from Funimation's um, release, 
this they say in a world where the entire idea of music vanishes from existence echo wreck is a young teen who comes across ooh i'm going to i think that's how you pronounce it ooh a girl who oddly enough has an auxiliary port on her body together they'll work to rock the foundation of society and bring music back to the world so there's a couple of reasons why this is really, really interesting to me. Um, one of them is just the list of creators and directors on this uh, on this anime. So there's Jin from Kagure Days. There's Dai Sato from Cowboy Bebop, which you know is like my thing. And um, also a bunch of other people, but also Dai Sato is going to be the series composer which in a music (laughs) anime like that just I'm so excited for that Um, but it also I think is a really interesting concept because music is so important just for humanity in general Um, and we've kind of had I kind of go back to like Kevin Bacon Footloose like let the people dance you know (laughs) Um, But music is such an important part of humanity. And as a history major, as someone who loves archaeology and anthropology, we find musical instruments as far back as we find any other tool that humans have used and created. And so the idea of a world where humans have just lost that part of themselves, like I can't imagine even coming from the black community, like I can't imagine not having all of the culture and all of the living, breathing history that comes with music, all of the storytelling that comes with music, and to not have that and then suddenly just be awash with it, I think is a really interesting concept. So yeah, I'm excited for this one. What do you think? I'm just thinking of how hard it is to conceptualize something without music. Right? It's just, it's so difficult. Like, if a movie goes silent, you will notice it. If a video game soundtrack suddenly stops, you notice these things. Like, if there was no orchestral backing in an anime, how would I know to be excited about things? Like, it's just such a bizarre concept. It's just sort of like, I can't. I can't imagine it. It doesn't make sense. I don't like that world. I don't like (laughs) thinking about that world. But... And I and I saw the trailer and it looks it looks weird. It looks so yes. weird. And I'm I'm always here for it. It looks so weird. And one of the characters is named after a, is that Latin letter, Greek letter, the the mu. Yes, mu? I'm just I don't know. It's, I feel like I should know. Um, I feel like it's Greek, but that's probably right. It's just it's weird seeing yeah. that in in text and the artist formerly known as Prince. It. <laughs> yeah. Um it does remind me of a of a different anime suggestion uh that I got a long time ago but it was called A Boring World Where the Concept of Dirty Jokes Doesn't Exist. Okay. Uh, it's got Shinomonita. I don't I don't remember. But it it was a similar premise where it's just like it's the world but dirty jokes just don't exist as a concept. And I don't know. This isn't the first time that we had like world without something so like that's interesting in that respect but the fact that it's music is really just throwing me off in a very particular way 
Um, and, like, I also, like, am really into, like, everything music anime related mm-hmm. ever since Carol and Tuesday came out last year and ever since My Hero Academia had their whole, <laughs> like, festival concert art and everything. It's just, it's great. Most of my, my work soundtrack now is just anime OVs just constantly because they're better. They're great. <laughs> they get me pumped. Haikyuu specifically is just sort of like, yeah, Tobey Fla. I should stop singing. It's, <laughs> it's been it's been a long it's been a long week. Anyways, this is exciting. It looks weird. I wish Funimation would give stuff to Hulu faster, and that that's about my start and stop there. <laughs> I like it. So before there is more singing, let's go ahead and take a break. So fun fact for the audiences at home, I have been living in St. Louis since 2009 when I moved here for undergrad, and have basically been here for about a decade, minus a year in Madison, Wisconsin for a job that I shouldn't discuss on air for a variety of reasons. And during my decade, I've fallen in love with the city and learned a lot about its history and all of its inhabitants, none more strange than Phyllis Schlafly. Now, when I first heard the name Shackley, it was in the context of one of the local brewers of St. Louis. It was a very, like, generic, not generic, it was a local brew. It's a good beer, solid all around. You see them everywhere. But this same family also produced one of the most infamous conservative woman pundits ever, and probably seeded many horrible political things that have come to darkly bloom over the last few decades. And I bring this up because FX on Hulu is promoting Mrs. America, and it's this miniseries that explores the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment and its most vocal detractor, Phyllis Schlafly, played by Kate Blanchett. Now, Kate Blanchett slayed audiences as Hella in Full Ragnarok, so there's a very good chance she's going to be enthralling to watch, but lord, Phyllis Schlafly has this scary biography and some very scary viewpoints, and when you hear Blanchett's soundboy in this 15-second teaser, which is like, we have to stop the Equal Rights Amendment, it's kind of a spine-chilling moment. And its release is just right around the corner on April 15th, and, well, since there's nothing else going on and I have nothing but time, I'm probably going to be watching in this fear-struck state of awe, because it's just... It's like a train wreck almost, right? You can't help but stare at it, at this horrible, horrible thing. Because this is just not a good person who just represents a lot of, like, anti-progress to a lot of things. I'm not sure how familiar you all with uh, St. Louis uh, political figures, so... (laughs) So, I actually grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. It's kind of redundant to say a little town in Iowa because they're just all little towns. So this is not my first run-in with the specter that is Phyllis Schlafly or just in general women like her. I have some very strong feelings about this. None of them are positive. So I I will put in first that while I have no desire to watch this, I do feel like there is a way they could have written 
and produced this that maybe is not as harmful as I am thinking. So I will tell you my fears, but know that they are fears because obviously I have not watched this, so it, they might address all of these things. My issue with this, like with a lot of historical fiction like this, is that there are consequences to what we choose to center in our media. There are consequences to what we choose to normalize by putting out there and and saying, like, this is worthy of recognition and this is worthy of an entire series and this is worthy of this amazing, amazing actress, Kate Blanchett. Like, Kate Blanchett is amazing, right? So saying that that this story is worthy of this much attention and this great of an actress, I think is... I, I find it problematic. Um, I don't think it's that the stories don't need to be told, but I can think of so many stories from the same period of time. So in this 15 or 15 second clip, there are four or five really important women before this, one of whom is Shirley Chisholm, who are saying like, we have to support the equal rights amendment. And then you end with Phyllis Schlafly saying, no, we should defeat it. I am not against women. I am not against women working outside the home. But what I am against is the women's liberation movement. Who the hell is Phyllis Schlafly? We need to get the word out quickly. We want the right to be a mother, the right to be a wife. The libbers want to create a sex-neutral feminist totalitarian nightmare. Do you know what you're saying has no basis in fact? Our movement is about fighting the oppression of all women. We do not want housewives thinking that we are against them. We are against them. Revolutions are messy. How long are we supposed to wait? How much time do we give people to adapt to change? Or am I the only one who's so tired of waiting? This fight is not about uh, equality. It's about power. And I'm just getting started. We are a political movement, not a sorority. So now we're not going to have people we disagree with participate? We don't get to decide how the battle lines are drawn. Why don't we have biopics or historical fiction about those four incredible women? Like, why are we choosing to center Phyllis Schlafly first before any of even those four women, let alone the hundreds and thousands of other women who were influential in getting the Equal Rights Amendment passed, I think that that sends a bad message to the younger generations about the fight for equality and what it will bring you if you choose to stand up for what's right. 
And again, these are my fears. Maybe they, maybe, maybe she will be portrayed fairly. I, I don't even know what that means in this context, but it worries me. It means me. she's evil. It means that she's evil. Right. She, she was evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just somehow I just don't feel like that's going to come across. But but it could. It, I could be completely wrong. And that could be what comes across. Who knows? I mean, so I, I think you're entirely spot on, right? I think that whenever the the villain of of like the historical thing gets the top billing, it's always sort of like, what what are we doing here? Um, and if it weren't for, like, I have a lot of, a lot, mm, how do I phrase <laughs> this? I really enjoyed FX's catalog as a whole, and I really appreciated FX bringing their content to be more accessible via FX via on Hulu, which is this new, strange, like, they're just going directly to Hulu now, which, yeah, sure. So I'm there for that in that respect, and given that this is one of the stories, it's intriguing in that respect. Also, Phyllis Schlafly is just one of those haunting figures in the back of every St. Louisan's mind right now. She went to my alma mater. Like, this thing haunts me just, just, just a little bit. So, like, there's the intrigue there. And the fact that she has top billing with Kate Blanchett, who, again, my love, my heart, everything. It's weird. Now, the the synopsis that I've managed to be able to dig up, everything says that it's focused on the Equal Rights Amendment holistically. It has all of these people talking. Um, Gloria Steinem, Shirley Chisholm, uh, Jill Rakishes, Betty Fried. Like, they have more people involved. So hopefully, this is a holistic story that is told. God, we can only hope so, because otherwise, it's just like, why are we betraying an evil white woman as, as sympathetic when she she set up this political, not not political correctness, uh, moral majority. That that's the phrase. This this concept is sort of like we can't have these things because it's not moral. That's not what what good people want. And that that set many things back. That caused so many problems. That affected comic books. That affected media. That just it just it it rippled throughout history. So. I get the fears, I get the hesitation. I'm hoping that they do it well because I think it is important to recognize what we do, like how we got to a certain point in our political history and I hope they handle it well because I want to be able to say like FX is doing good storytelling. But you're right. There there's a lot of concerns. There's so many concerns. Yes. And so I put my next section I picked it specifically because I knew what you were talking about for your section, and I wanted to end on something that I know for a fact is going to be good storytelling, and it's because it's LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton is just, he's a gem. He's a gem, and um, he is an incredibly influential person in the black community, but I think for all Americans, especially of, let's see, I'm I'm gonna out myself. I'm 29, so I would say probably if you are like 35, 40 or younger, Lavar Burton was probably a very influential part of your your growing up, right? So we have we have Roots, the original. 
We have Star Trek The Next Generation, which, I mean, come on, Jordy LaForge, amazing. Right? And then, of course, Reading Rainbow. Um, and for me, so again, I'm 29, I first saw LeVar Burton in Reading Rainbow, um, because that was the first media that I was, like, old enough for, I guess. <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't get to watch TNG until I was at least double digits, 10, 11, and then Roots was like, my mom was like, eh, you're 14, maybe you can handle this now, there's a lot of stuff, but I feel like you need it. Um, but he's just such an influential part of American culture, I feel like. And such a good-hearted part. So I would put LeVar Burton in kind of that same Mr. Rogers portion of American culture. And I'm just so excited about him. And why we're talking about him this week is because he is back for more books. And I'm here for it. So... Is doing Twitter live streams, and then I, it looks like they're going to be put up on Stitcher. And it's called LeVar Burton Reads, and he's just going to be reading books for us again, which is amazing. Uh, and I have to be honest, I have had this in my life for a while, because even though the LeVar Burton Reads series just started yesterday, um, I actually, on Audible have him reading Carl Sagan's Cosmos, which he narrates, and it's amazing and wonderful, and you should all listen to it. But more LeVar Burton reads, and I love that he has embraced his, his I guess, status as an American icon, because he's not just doing kids' books anymore. Obviously, he's going back to that, because that's super important. Reading is fundamental, children. Reading is fundamental. So on Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific time, he'll be reading children's books. At, on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific time, he'll be reading young adult books. And then at Fridays at 6 p.m., again Pacific time, he'll be reading adult books. And I'm just so excited that he ha has this new series, that this new series is going to be covering the spectrum of literature and I'm just really, really excited. And I'm excited that LeVar Burton has this new thing that he's doing, too. I think that that's really cool. So how do you feel about Jordy LaForge? Well, I'm also glad you picked this to be our last segment because LeVar Burton represents everything good in the world right now and everything good in the world for, like, the past, like, several decades because he's just a good human being who does good things, who, who's just... He does the work, right? Like like, like Mr. Rogers said, like you can see the helpers, and Laval Burden is the helper through and through. And like also, like not just like American culture, but like specifically to me, like he represents sci-fi culture in a very big way with Jordi LaForge, like you, like you started off with. But like um, Laval Burden tried to like get the rights to reading Rainbow back a few years ago via Kickstarter. I backed that immediately. And then there was the whole, like, right thing that just went A-wire in a lot of different ways. So I'm glad to see that, like, he's able to produce this content and able to do it on his terms. And we know it's reading Rainbow. He just can't use that term for legal reasons. So, so that aside, like, Laval Burton reads, like, it's what we need right now in this time. 
uh, I think he's been doing something similar to this in a while because a couple couple years ago, he was reading a whole bunch of like short stories from like a variety of collections, and that's actually how I caught hold of the uh, what was it, uh, the Paper Menagerie by Ken Liu. Uh, it's just a fantastic, fantastic short story that utterly broke me. And it was compounded by the fact that Laval, Re- Laval Burden was reading this magnificently crafted short story, and it just it it tugged at the heartstrings. It it was a lot. So um, all four more people getting emotionally devastated by Laval Burden reading various uh, various things. And yeah, it's gonna be great. Kids and young adults, he has this scheduled out such that, like, people can use these as homeschooling tools or, like, after-school tools. Like, he's being very considerate of his audience. Of course he would be. He's Laval Burden. Um, and it's exciting in that respect. Um, it's, it's something that I wish was not happening during a time of quarantine. But, you know, we take what we can get, and he's doing necessary things, and I'm glad that he is doing them, because I love him. And, yeah, I'm glad we're ending on this note. Yeah, and you bring up something really important, too, about the books that LeVar Burton chooses. And I think that that was something that was really important about reading Rainbow, because, again, growing up in the Midwest, I had a lot of, as as they have been called, books about little white boys and their dogs, right? <laughs> and so having Reading Rainbow, where LeVar Burton was specifically choosing inclusive and diverse books was really important. And so I, I think just even in that, even like you said, that, that this short story that was so um, moving for you, I think that going to him for book choices is something that I have missed in my life, and I'm super excited to have that back again. So before I wax poetic anymore, would you like to take us into our lightning rounds? Yeah, so even though we have so much time on our hands as people, the podcast has a time limit that we try to respect, but there's a lot of stuff that happens in news, and we can't cover it all, so we have this lightning round to keep you up to date on various things. So, let's get started. It comes as no surprise given that it was all the rage in February, but Lock and Key officially announced that it will be getting a second season, although details are sparse beyond that. If you love ecological disasters, the plight of the working class, and big trains, TNT has you covered with their re-envisioned Snowpiercer TV series starring David Diggs coming out May 17th. Why are we getting a TV series? I don't know. I'm still gonna watch it. And then finally, Disney announced some shuffling of their film releases because of the plague. Notably, Mulan is getting moved to July 24th. Artemis Fowl is skipping theaters entirely and going straight to Disney Plus sometime in the summer, and the MCU has pushed back Black Widow to November and has adjusted the rest of the slate for both the uh, movies and their TV series accordingly. So, if you'd like to hear thoughts on these or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at the Black Nerd Problems Twitter account with the hashtag TWINN. That was this week in the news. Turn in next week for more pop culture news. I am Michael Snyder. 
And I'm Victoria Bertine. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Stay home, stay safe, wash your hands, and we will see you next week.